Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and back fresh from vacation, Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete Wright. It's been a long time. I know. I, I, I'm a little nervous. I feel a little awkward. <laughs> awkward? <laughs> it's like the first day back at school, like you get kind of nervous. And oh, you know, yeah, like totally. you, you know the routine, and you know like everything that's going to happen, but still, it's like... All the oh, other, we all, haven't done this in a while. That's right. All the other podcasts <laughs> got new clothes, new shoes. I know. What's what's new about us? Yeah. What is new about us? <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, we've got lots of follow-up and, and uh, a, a great show today. We're talking about adjusting to schedule change and making big transitions. Very timely conversation going into uh, the, the final throes of summer. Before we get started, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can, of course, listen to the show right there on the website. You can subscribe to the mailing list, which we strongly encourage you to do right there on the homepage. And, and get an email each time a, a new episode drops. Of course, connect with us on Twitter and Facebook at Take Control ADHD And call us. Our voicemail is 503-664-4ADD. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this show. And if you haven't checked it out, you've got to go check out Nikki's online training course, Organizing Your Space Your Way. Uh, it's been a great summer for the course. We'd love to to have you check it out and see what you think. What do you think, Nikki? How's it going? It's going great. Yes. I, I, I highly recommend that course. Highly, it comes highly recommended. <laughs> highly recommended from the creator. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's been going great. And I, I love talking about it and teaching it. And so, yes, come on board this organizing journey with me. Excellent. You can find out more about that, of course, at TakeControlADHD.com. Okay. Updates on summer vacation. Took some time off. I think I, I just wanted to open with a question for you, Nikki. What did we learn about our systems and managing time and, and taking a month off of the podcast? Did we, did we learn anything new? I learned nothing new. <laughs> I hope that you have something good here because I saw that in your notes and I'm like, oh man, I didn't learn anything. I went on vacation and I played with my kids and no, you know, it was a great time off it, and it actually went exactly the way I expected. I knew that the time was going to go by fast and it certainly did. So I really tried at the very beginning not to set the expectation that I was going to get a whole lot done around my house because part of my vacation was at home and then part of it was away. Um, and you know, it really honestly went exactly the way that, that I thought it would. Um, we went to San Francisco, we were in the car a lot because we went to San Francisco, we drove down to San Francisco, we were driving up, uh, to Eastern Washington at one point. So a lot of driving 
And just on a side note, I used to live in San Francisco. And so I got to show my kids like where I lived and where I worked. And I just think that they were really, um, I think they were really surprised <laughs> that really? I lived there because San Francisco is so different from where we live now. Oh, oh, I mean, yes. it's like night and day. Well, and I so- <laughs> imagine San Francisco is so different from San Francisco when you lived there. Well, and what's funny about that is that, yes, the Union Square area, like the downtown area right. definitely looked different. Uh, like I couldn't even find the building that I worked in. I, 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 I think I know where it is, but it, it, they changed it all. Yeah, so that did. part, yeah, it definitely looked different, but there were still like some parts that were exactly the same. So I, I lived, uh, kind of in the Marina district, um, over by Fisherman's Wharf and the same coffee shop is there. The same little, uh, grocery store on the corner that I used to go or like market, not a grocery store market was there. And a little restaurant that I used to go to was still there. Um, the grocery store that I used to actually go to was a Safeway and it's like underground and it was still there. The place I used to work out was still there. So, I mean, it was just kind of yeah. fun to see the things that didn't change. Um, Ex- but except yeah, for I, now that place where you used to live is oh. full of about a thousand times more tourists. And, uh, well, we had a lot of tourists back then too. Believe me. I oh, mean, yeah. it's always been, yeah, yeah. but it, you know what the biggest change is, is cost of living. Yeah. I don't think I could afford to live there now. I mean, I I looked up what studio apartments are now because that's what I lived in was yeah. a studio apartment. And I mean, it's just it's I, I don't know how people do it. I love the city. I love it. But I don't know how you do it. I yeah. do not know how people live in such an expensive area. Well, um, I, it was that was the same. You know, I lived down in Mountain View um for for a while and it was the same thing for us i mean even then when i lived in an apartment down there the reason we moved up here is because what i was paying in san francisco for our little tiny apartment two bedroom one bath apartment bought me a four bedroom house yes here yeah, in portland right and now i can't i mean it, it you know with apple and google and facebook and all of these these giant companies you can't i mean the south bay is is just a disaster for cost of living it's a yeah it has really changed the entire economic and, and sort of demographic environment down there has just been blown up crazy yeah crazy but it was definitely fun i loved you know i loved seeing some of that stuff and loved showing it to my kids so you know for me there wasn't a whole lot of like learning experiences what about you you know i'm it's it's been a little bit of a struggle you know i mean i i i know i've shared some of the foot pain that i've been dealing with and I, i i it's it's hard to deal with with kind of pain but it got really bad and uh so i i went to the doctor the 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 foot doc and he tells me that what i thought i was doing to heal my foot was actually making it worse so for like nine months i've been suffering and it's just this last month has been as close as i can probably describe to what i imagine chronic pain to be like you know i i stand up in the morning and it's a red hot poker that goes up my heel into my calf and shin and it just is there all day. And so like I spend a lot of time on my standing on my left foot and kind of trying to tape my foot and ankle and ice it 10 minutes out of every hour all day long. Like it is a real pain in the rear and um, it, it, pain is, in the foot. Yeah, right. It's a pain in the ankle. <laughs> Sorry, and I don't mean to laugh at your expense because it, it sounds awful. It is. It's really. It's really horrible. And and so the the disruption that comes from that with and and the way my brain reacts to to pain is it can it it goes in and out of being like super productive when I like uh, you know oh, sure. take some Motrin and sit down 
and like I can really power through and catch up stuff to being totally debilitated where right, I just right. get so depressed that I do can't. nothing. Yeah, I'm like broken. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling just totally broken. And I've never experienced that before. So this is a new thing that I'm kind of learning right now is how how pain uh, impacts uh, my, you know, the way my brain works with ADHD. And so it's, I, I don't feel like I've learned anything yet, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm figuring it out and it's, it's, well, I it's hope a you challenge. Feel better soon. Well, That's thank you. Awful thing. Well, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's dumb and I'm ready to be finished with it. I'm yeah. seriously ready to be finished with it. But, but it was, it was really humiliating when I went to the doctor and he said, so what you thought this was is not that thing. And in fact, the way you are taking care of yourself is, is exactly worse. the opposite of what you should be doing. And so, yeah, not um, good news. Yeah, not good news. So anyhow, um, that's, that's my summer update. I'm, I'm working through it and I hope to, maybe we can talk, uh, have a conversation in the future about, you know, chronic pain and ADHD. It'd be good to hear some thoughts from others who have dealt with it. Um, cause it's hard to suffer. So it is. There you go. Yes. Yes. We do have some All follow right. up. We got a phone message. Yes. Interesting question. It is. It's a great question. And uh, are you, you know, you want to play it? Sure. Let's play it. Okay. Here we go. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm from Austin, Texas. I am 24 years old and I work in public relations. Uh, you know, when trying to find uh, the perfect career for someone who is ADHD, I couldn't I couldn't really do anything that made me sit still. And for me, uh, my creativity came out in communication and design and using my imagination a lot. Um, and so getting into a career where I got to speak to people um, and come up with new plans and, uh, you know, come up with strategy for communicating with different companies and to the public um, used my uh, ADHD strength. Um, but... Growing up, though, uh, you know, I, I started on ADHD medication a little later in life, uh, you know, and my parents and I were just discussing how it might have been easier had I started a lot sooner. I wanted to get your opinion on how soon should you have your child tested for ADHD, uh, how, or how early on in their life, uh, and how soon can you start ADHD medication and would that help in the long run or would it help to see how they cope with it on their own? Um, but thank you so much. And I hope to hear my question on a podcast. Okay. So I just want to, but I, I know the, the crux of her question is around uh, ADHD and medication and it is a great question, but I just want to celebrate the fact that she has used her ADHD as a superhero power and found a career that really leverages that uh, yes. going into public relations. I think that is something to cheer about and, and it's a, it's a real lesson. So And I, to pass on. I yeah. Mean, I, yeah. It's a great inspiration for others who are especially trying to figure out what, what they should do next for work or absolutely. career. So, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time on no. that, but just props to props to her for have doing to that. acknowledge it. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So what do you, let's talk about drugs. Okay. Well, okay. Let's talk about drugs. So basically her question really is, you know, how, how soon she wanted to know our opinion, how soon should your child be tested for ADHD and how soon should they start the medication? And, you know, I, I have an opinion. I, I mean, you know, I have some thoughts on it, I guess, but I'm really interested in your thoughts too, Pete, because you have dealt with this. You've yeah. worked, I mean, this is hands-on uh, your experience. So um, I'll share with you what I kind of think, and then we can see what you think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my first reaction or first instinct is to say, you know, ADHD runs in the family. So it, or it can, not always, but it can. So if a parent, if you or your, your spouse has ADHD, there might be a good chance that one or more of your children might have it as well, especially if you're seeing challenges. I mean, if you're seeing symptoms or things that you're, you're noticing areas where they're struggling and you think it could be kind of an ADHD related thing, I mean, I definitely think it's worth looking into, right? I mean, I I think anytime your child is struggling, it's a great thing to get some outside help in it and yes. try to figure out what it is. It may not even be ADHD. It may be something completely different. Well, right. Um, and luckily to that point, to that exact point, you can't just go say, give me drugs for my kid's ADHD. Like you have to go right. through. There is a process, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, they definitely have to be diagnosed and, and know that that's what it is. And uh, oftentimes I'll tell my clients, you know, don't assume that that's what it is. You've got to to get that formal diagnosis and, and rule out anything else that could be, you know, potentially going on. So I definitely think you just want to be aware of what's happening with your child and where they're struggling. Also, I suggest building, a, you know, a strong relationship with their teachers because oftentimes the teacher in preschool or first grade or elementary school is the one that's, that's maybe noticing some things before you do. And um, so, you know, I think if you already have concerns or um, your teacher brings up concerns that they have, to have that open communication with them and kind of really see how is the child um, doing in a school environment. I don't really know. I mean, it, the, the question about, you know, is there a right or wrong age of when to get a child tested? I, I don't know if, if that even if you can even say that that if there's a right or wrong age and the same thing with, you know, should you medicate a child? I think it is such a personal decision. I said I had an opinion, but I really don't. <laughs> I really think that you have to like, look at the pros and cons. You have to talk to your doctor. You have to talk to, you know, the other parent, you have to talk to the child, depending on how old they are. I mean, there's just so many factors that can go into it that it's just a really, I have a really hard time just saying, yes, you should go medicate your child. But I also have a hard time saying that, no, you should never medicate your child. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it, it, it's just such a personal thing. Yeah. Well, but I'm really curious to know what you think, Pete. You know, we, we just having gone through exactly this this sort of discernment, I, I will agree with you. I, I have, I, I don't know what what the complications might be medically to medicate your uh, uh, like a toddler. Uh, but so I, I don't want to comment on that. But mm -hmm. I will say that... ADHD is not like a disease, you know, it's right. not something that you take medication to cure, right? Medication right. is an accommodation so that you can relate to the world uh, around you uh, in, in a way that reduces the noise and allows you to function. And I, when you're talking about kids, it, it's a little hard to figure out, even at the, you know, if you're struggling with like an early diagnosis. I mean, you see great kind of, uh, um, you know, hyperactivity or impulsivity or inattention in a, in a four or five year old. Well, you know what? Four and five year olds are 
inattentive and hyperactive right. and yes, impulsive. Yes. So, so I, you know, I, and the other side of that is, what is it you want out of your five-year-old, right? What is it that you you would want to give them medication so that they can accomplish besides living a strong and healthy life? You know, if if the medication is an accommodation to be able to work in a more focused manner or study in a more focused manner, thinking about it for little kids is it it feels like you're you're addressing kind of the wrong issue. Um, well, now, and real quick, I just want to, yeah. I just want to say, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but th- that is one point I think is really important. We don't want to be looking for it, right? I mean, right. you know, you don't want to be thinking, oh, because he, you know, had a temper tantrum now, oh, oh my gosh, does he have ADHD? I mean, we don't want to be looking for it or assuming that that's what it is. Because like you said, it could just be the stage that they're in as children, or it could, it could be anything. It could just be the circumstances at that moment. Right. Um, so yeah, I just want to say that on the sideline is that, you know, you don't necessarily want to be putting yourself in a position where you're trying to search for something wrong. That just doesn't seem healthy to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, because it's, it's, it, it can be easy to mistake a really energetic kid with a kid with ADHD. You know, yeah. I mean, there are, there are so many reasons. And that's why back to your point to have a very strong relationship with daycare providers, a strong relationship with teachers, a strong relationship with all caregivers. Uh, and, and of course, you know, with doctors, if you're really, you know, concerned about it, I mean, there are, there are traits, you know, the kids who, uh, who are extremely energetic, and don't have a trend toward ADHD, you, you know, those kids will slow down and take naps. And often ADHD kids won't, they, you know, they, they're not nappers, you know, and so there are little signals. But again, I'm with you, I would not be out there hunting for it. Um, mostly because there is no benefit in, in the reading that I've done to giving kids medication at a very early age, uh, if they're not looking to to accomplish something to function if they're if they don't have a classroom to to really uh, focus in like there's no benefit the, the the these drugs go into your system and they go out you know very very quickly and then they're gone and so you know it's not like you have to get kids accustomed to medication anymore there's you know those those are kind of old um it's kind of old behavior so i i really think if you look at it as um as something that will help your child to um to live and relate in the world when they need it, uh, that that's probably a, a pretty good rule of thumb, and that's what what we ended up doing. And and we had a long conversation with my daughter, even though she was young, and we talked to her teachers and doctors and and all the caregivers, and and all came to the same decision that when she needs it at this point, um, then she should take it. And she has gotten to the point where she knows she knows when she's going to need it. She knows mm-hmm. she knows that, and she hasn't taken it all summer and hasn't, you know, and and, and has been okay. But she knows when she's going to need to sit down in high school now. Uh, mm-hmm. that she'll probably need a little support. And so that's, you know, she's been on, she's had it available to her for many years and, and it's, it's been a fairly uh, reasonable and well-reasoned approach, I think, to dealing with medication for our child. Mm-hmm. So. Terrific. That, well, those are my thoughts. There you go. If yeah. anybody else has anything they want to chime in, please do. Uh, we do have one quick recommendation, and it's an yes. old one uh, because it came in just as we went on vacation from friend of the show, Jordan Gamble. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this visual timer. I, I swear at some point we've talked about time timers, but this oh, looks like yes. a, yeah, mm-hmm. this looks like a really good one, and there are some great uh, uh, benefits, of course, to these visual timers. And, uh, and Jordan writes in with a link to a, a good one and uh, some good options for it. So thank you, Jordan, for writing in with the time timer, and we will post that in the show notes. 
Yes. And I just want to say, if anybody else has other recommendations of, of products or tools or systems or strategies that, that work for you, um, please share that with us. Call us, email us, whatever, um, so we can share that with the rest of the community. I just think it's so important that we um, do pass along that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about adjusting to a schedule change. Yes, yes. So this is good timing because I was actually <clears throat> inspired. I was inspired to talk about this topic um, because of a client that I was working with recently. He uh, works full time and he was he is actually planning to go to school in the evening in the fall to get his master's degree. And he was debating on whether or not to take, should I take one class? Should I take two classes? And just trying to figure out what that right balance is between work, school, and personal life. And so it got me to thinking that he He's probably not the only one who is trying to, you know, really make that decision of adding something to your schedule, like adding an, an actual, either whether it's school or uh, maybe some volunteer work or, you know, you, do you know what I mean? Like oh, you're, just, yeah. you're adding something, something <laughs> to that what's you're, already- yeah, you're not accustomed to, right? In your daily rigmarole. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes this can be kind of difficult to know. Well, actually, I think what people tend to do is they just jump on board and just say, yes, I'm going to add that. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm going to do that. That sounds great. And then they get in the middle of it and they're like, oh, man, what was I thinking? Yeah. Uh, so that's what we want to do today is I'm just going to hit on some points, uh, some kind of some best practices on how to make this decision. If it, it really is a good idea to add something into your schedule and how to kind of make it a smooth one if you do decide to do it. All right. So let's talk about it. All right. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is something that we have talked about recently, and that's the whole time blocking idea, right? I do so, love this one. Yes. So one of the, it's actually an exercise that you can do with yourself. If you are trying to decide whether or not you want to add something into your schedule, take a snapshot of your time the way that it looks right now. So I think the easiest thing to do is to print off a blank weekly calendar. You can just do that off of any calendar that you have, right? Just a print off a, a blank sheet that has the week. Uh, have it be big enough so you can write on it. I don't want, this isn't something to do on your phone. Okay. I want you to actually like print it out and write on it and feel it. Does that sure. make sense? Oh, Cause absolutely. there's just something about that. Yeah. Um, once you have the calendar printed, what I, the first thing I want you to do is actually block the reserved time that is non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Um, and what I mean by that is your work schedule, for example. So Monday through Friday, you work eight to five. That is time that is non-negotiable. You can't change that. You can't, there's no flexibility. Um, same thing with if school, if you already know you are taking one or two classes, um, you know, put that in there if you know what those times are. If you are, uh, maybe you have church that you do every Sunday and, you know, that's a non-negotiable for you. That is something that you are committed to and you do put those things onto your calendar first. Feel free to color code them if that helps you. Um, and then I want you to take a step back and look at your week, look at what is reserved and what's left. And at this point, you can fill in those appointments that are a little bit more flexible. So maybe that's your workout schedule or something else that you do that can kind of vary, right? Mm-hmm. So here you have a snapshot of your week. So this is it. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, our time is taken. 
Yeah, right. Because right? Right. we work a lot. We have all of these other things to do. So it it is kind of humbling when you see, oh, man, I really don't have a whole lot of time. So the point of the exercise is to really see where do you have some openings and you can really make that decision of is now the right time for me to get my master's? Is now the right time for me to add on to this volunteer work? You know, can I do it? Does it make sense? And then I think that what we've talked about in the past when it comes to time blocking is we have to remember our boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Before we commit to anything into your new schedule, especially for those things that are just more than one appointment. So we're talking about ongoing classes and things like that. Just make sure you have the time and that if you say yes, that it fits into your priorities. You know, is it important? So like with this particular client, for example, what I did is I like, you know, where are your priorities? His priority is his wife, his work and his uh, school. So where and what's left? Where's the wife going to be fit? You know, or how's that going to fit in? And does it make sense to just take one class <laughs> how, or two classes? How do I fit my wife into my? Yeah. Schedule? Well, I uh, know, and I, you know, it's funny you say that because in the conversation we're like, I know it kind of sucks that you have to like you know plan a date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but when you are working with a schedule, seriously, where your time is so. Uh, not yours because you do have these non-negotiable things because you're trying to go to school and, and work at the same time. You have to plan for it. Yes. I mean, there's just no way around it. Otherwise, the wife is going to get forgotten. <laughs> and that's just <laughs> Don't sad. Don't forget your wife. Don't forget your wife. So, you know, I, 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 again, I think it's just knowing your boundaries and making a decision on whether or not this really is the right thing and is it the right timing and and all of that. Now, with that being said, say that you do decide that, yes, I'm going to take two classes. I'm going to take two classes. I'm going to work. Now we have to really consider what are the extra responsibilities that come with adding whatever it is that you've added to your schedule. And what I mean by responsibilities, of course, is like any extra tasks that need to be done, money that needs to be spent because maybe you need to have supplies or something like that. Um, anything that's going to take your time that's outside of the actual meeting or scheduled class, right? Well, yeah. And, and school is such a great example because, you know, taking the extra class is not just the time you spend driving to and sitting in the class. Thank it, you. Yeah, yes. I mean, you have to think about all of the time you will spend writing papers and studying, studying. and reading and researching. Yeah. And doing group meetings and yeah. all of that. Yes. I, yes, of course. So that all has to be taken into account. Um, and write this stuff down, you know, look at it, plan for it, look at your, you know, go back to that snapshot. Where is it going to fit? Um, and really this type of planning, if you've already committed to the new, you know, to the new class or to whatever it is that you're adding to your schedule at this point, you're planning for it. And this will decrease your stress, you know, in a big way, right? Because now you kind of know what you're in or you, you kind of know what to expect and, and you're not going to be blindsided, which is what we're trying to to basically prevent. But let me just, can I just jump in with just an example? Uh, Yeah. Because I, I teach this, uh, one of the classes that I teach is a marketing management class at the graduate level. It's in an MBA program. And, uh, just to give you an idea for that person who is looking at, uh, starting a graduate program, the kind of time baggage that comes with agreeing to join in uh, to a new program for one class. Uh, my students tell me that they spend just for my class 10 to 15 hours a week uh, on classwork outside of class for one 
class. So you're saying now, I'm thinking about starting a graduate program. I don't know if I can take uh, one or two classes at a time. Can you afford the extra 10 to 15, possibly 20 to 30 hours a week of writing, studying, reading, researching the works? It is a big commitment. It is a giant trailer of time that you are dragging behind this new car commitment that you have added to your, to yeah. your life. Well, that certainly puts it in perspective. Yeah. And really a depressing thing, right? <laughs> depressing. You're a hard professor. The work speaks for itself. <laughs> the work speaks for itself is all I'm saying. Right. Well, and it, you know, actually when you were talking, something that, that came to mind too is I've had some students in the past that I've worked with who are taking classes and they will want to to take on like a club or, you know, something like that. And, and it's such great fun to be a part of those things. And, you know, especially if, if you're a full-time student, say that you're not working, but you're mm -hmm. a full-time student. But I think it goes back to that um, same thought process is you have to think that even though it's only a one hour meeting a week, it seems like nothing. That club could still now ask you to be the secretary and now you've got all the notes that you have to write out and mm -hmm. you have to send, you know what I mean? There's always like more kind of to just the one or two hours that you're spending. And so, um, not just in classes, but even those outside extra, you know, stuff that you want oh, to do too. That is the biggest hidden lesson to these, to adding new things to your schedule for me is, yeah. is stop and think about what comes with every commitment. What comes with it. That's right. Well, and I think it's also a great idea if you have somebody to, to talk to about making this decision, you know, um, having an extra set of eyes, I think is always great you know, and, and asking them, Hey, what do you think? Should I take this on? And, and just getting, um, verbally processing it because that's such a, um, great way for many of my clients to make decisions is to kind of verbally process through the whole, you know, okay, what does this really mean? And then they hear themselves say it and they're like, Oh man, not a good idea. Yeah, I'm going to wait. Right. right. <laughs> you know? uh, okay. So the last point that I want to talk about, and, and you know, I'm kind of repeating a little bit of the information that we um, talked about earlier with the making decisions. Remember when we were talking about organizing and how hard it is sometimes to make decisions. Well, I think it goes the same with this. Even though we're not organizing a space, we have to make a decision about whether or not we're going to add this activity into our life. And making no decision at all, being in limbo, as we've mentioned, is just a terrible place to be. It sucks all your energy. You're stressed. You know, you, you, you're just going back and forth. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, and, uh, like we mentioned before, I'm going to mention it again, just make the decision, have the confidence that no matter what, it can either be undone if you need it to be, or you can tweak it in some way if you need it to be. Um, but make the decision and then focus that energy on making that be the best decision that you could have made. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, and, and just release that stress of not knowing what you're going to do and, and put the stress to what you're going to be doing. I know that sounds strange, but, um, but focus that energy into just, you know, okay, I can do this no matter what. Um, but make the decision. You have yeah. to make it at some point. So. Move forward. Keep yeah, there you go. Forward. Just keep swimming. Swimming, swimming, swimming like little Nemo. That's right. Just keep Dory. swimming. Yeah. Oh, Dory. <laughs> oh, bless you. 
Yeah. <laughs> Ellen. Anyway, hey, this is great. <laughs> I hope our first uh, our first show back after a uh, our, our brief hi- August hiatus, July hiatus. We're going into August. Ugh. See, I'm totally no, thrown off. Uh, I hope this is useful to folks. Please, again, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. We actually added a, a handy new button uh, right on the podcast page. You can click it. It opens up a little form, and you can write us directly with your uh, comments and questions. We encourage you to do so. Uh, and you can write us anonymously if you would like. So uh, there you go. We'd love to hear from you. Anything else as we wrap up? No, I think that's it. That's it. Let's put a fork in it. We're done. Thanks, everybody, for downloading and listening. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Mm-hmm.